I thought to myself, you know, if we're really going to go out and be a part of our city, if we're really going to guide people to life in Christ, we need to know who we are. We need to know who we are and who we were created to be. And we need to know who we are in Christ. And I feel like we live in a world right now where there's so much confusion, so much brokenness, so much hurting that we've almost forgotten who we are, who God designed us to be. But, you know, it's it's no incident that scripture jumps right into this. In the very beginning, God lays out just who he made us to be. He lays this out for us. And we're going to dive into that a little bit Uh, as we go through this series. I'm going to give you a setup in the beginning of this message just to kind of lay this out for you. But I do want to be clear about one thing. I understand it as you hear a title like this identity theft, taking back what the enemy has stolen. You could have the idea that maybe this series is going to dive into some things like gender identity and all that kind of stuff. And I just want to tell you up front. I'm not going to go there. And it's not because I'm afraid to go there. It's not because I don't think those things are important. I just don't feel like that's where God is leading us in this moment. You know, I had a thought, um, again, thinking back to the Love Your City series. And my thought was this. Scripture says that Jesus, he was standing outside of the city of Jerusalem. And that as he looked on the city, it says he was moved with compassion because he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. And church, sometimes I think that as we look on our city, as we see the depravity and the sin in our city, as we see the homosexuality and the gender gender identity issues, and as we see the prostitution and fornication, the adultery, as we see the lust and the alcoholism, as we see all these things around us, we have a tendency to get bitter. We have a tendency to get anger. We have a tendency to look down and say, why are they behaving that way? Why are they acting that way? Don't they get it? When Jesus would look at that and be moved with compassion. He would see them as sheep without a shepherd. He would see them as being lost and broken and hurting. And guys, I think that as we take back our identity, as we take back what the enemy has stolen from us, we can begin to look at other people through the eyes of Jesus and we can be moved with compassion so that as we go out into our city, we can make an impact with the right heart, the right motives, the right attitude and represent the God who created us. So I just want to challenge you with that as you're looking at the news, as you're watching all the things going on around you. Be like Jesus, be moved with compassion, and then pray. Jesus said to pray for the Lord of the harvest, to send laborers into that harvest field, uh, because the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So let's be a church full of laborers. Let's go out into this harvest field, and let's reap the Lord's harvest, because he says the harvest is plentiful. Let's be the laborers so that the laborers laborers are not so few. Amen? Amen. So as we dive into this series on identity theft, I'm really excited because we're going to take a look again at who God created us to be, like who we are. And then we're going to talk about discovering who we are in Christ. And scripture jumps into this idea early on in the very first chapter of the very first book of the Bible. We are told who we are created to be. And you can turn there with me if you like. If we go to Genesis chapter one and just look in verse, uh, start in verse 26 just for a second. So if you got a Bible, if you got your Bible with you, You only got to turn a few pages past the table of contents and, you know, whatever other preface they have there. And then you'll run right into Genesis chapter one. And he starts in verse 26. It says this. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image and the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. 
So right here in the beginning, we see that we are created in God's image, that God made us as image bearers, representatives of him here on this earth. And unlike any other creation, God actually breathed his life into us. That's what makes us created in God's image. See, when it talks about that, I don't I, I think what it's really trying to say is that God gave us certain attributes of who he is, that it says he created male and female and in each one of those. He put certain attributes of his own nature, of his own qualities into us. That's what it means that we're created in God's image. It doesn't mean that one day we're going to get to heaven and you're going to see God and you're going to be like, oh, hey, I know I know him. I know what he looks like. He looks like somebody I know. It doesn't work that way. What it's really saying is that when God created us, when he made us in his image, that he gave us certain attributes. There's certain qualities about human life that we have that no other creature has. And that's what links us to God. He breathed his life into us so that we could be creators like him. We're creative. We're innovative. We have a conscience. We think we process things like him. We have a heart where we can love like him and we were made to be in relationship with him. And then it says that he gave us dominion over everything. And that word dominion is really a combination of two things. It's a combination of authority and responsibility. He gave us authority over the whole earth and then he gave us responsibility for it. So we don't just rule over it, but we're also responsible for caring for it. But then something happened. So God created us in his image. He made us in his likeness. He gave us dominion. And then something happened. See, when God created man and woman, when he created man first, he said, it's not good that man should be alone. I'm going to make a helper suitable for him. So he made woman. And then God placed man in the garden and God gave man dominion over the garden. He said, you can eat of any tree of the garden, but this one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and, e of good and evil, you cannot eat of that tree. But we get to Genesis chapter three, just a couple pages in and something happens. We're introduced to this character. His name is the serpent and the serpent comes in and he deceives the woman. He deceives Eve and she takes of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And she eats and scripture says that she gives to her husband who also eats. And this character, he's deceived the woman and he's taken the man. And Jesus introduces us to this character by a different name. See, throughout scripture, he's known as the serpent and Satan and the devil. But in John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says the thief, the thief, he introduces him as the thief. He says the thief comes only to but to still kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. And in that passage, Jesus is referring to him being the good shepherd, that he comes to tend his sheep. And he's saying that the thief comes in to still kill and destroy the sheep. But Jesus has come that we as his sheep may have life and have it abundantly. But we're introduced to this character, the thief. And what we're talking about today or in this series, Identity Theft, is how do we take back what this thief has stolen from us? See, Jesus, when he came into the earth and he laid out this plan for us, he, he made a way for us to return to what God originally created. How do we get back there? That's what we're going to talk about. And we're going to do this over the course of three messages. And this first part is really just laying out who did God create us to be and, who, and how are we supposed to live out this life? He created us in his image. We are his image bearers. We represent him. And then he gave us dominion. We have authority over the things of this earth. Scripture goes on to, on to tell us that when Jesus defeated death, hell, and the grave, that God put everything in subjection under his feet, that he has total dominion. And as his children, he has then given back to us dominion, authority, and responsibility over the things that we encounter. But we're going to look at this in three messages. And I think in order to properly do that, we're going to do exactly what Scripture did. We're going to start with male and female. And so today's the rest of today's message is really going to be a look at the identity of man. Who did God create man to be? 
next week on Mother's Day. I know you guys are excited about that, ladies. And guys, I hope you and your children are getting prepared for that. But next week on Mother's Day, we're going to look at the identity of women. And because I'm not a woman, I know maybe you just figured that out. I'm not a woman. Um, I would make an ugly woman. So please, thank you, Jesus, for making me a man. But we're going to have some very special guests who are going to join us and speak on behalf of the ladies of Seven Cities and on behalf of ladies in general. So you don't want to miss that. You're going to hear from some very special ladies. I'm a little biased, but you're going to hear from some very special ladies. And then in week three, in a message I'm very excited about, we're going to talk about our identity in Christ, who we are in Christ. Because guys, as we again, as we look at the world around us, broken, hurting, confused, angry. You have people who are made in the image of God, hating other image bearers. They're hating themselves. Jesus has put us here as the light of the world so that we can shine our light into darkness and we can reach those people so that they can learn to see who they were created to be, how they were created. We can guide them into life with Christ and that they can experience true life in him. So men, today we're going to focus on you. I hope you're ready. I hope your hearts are ready. I hope your eyes and your ears are ready. Get your pens and your notepads ready. It's going to be a simple message. It's going to be a pretty quick message too, but I hope you're ready to hear who God created you to be so that you can walk fully in that. If you're ready, go ahead and type ready in the chat or look at your neighbor and say ready. I don't know about you, but I am ready to dive into this. And to talk about it, what we're going to do is we're just going to look at two short verses, a little passage of scripture, and we're going to break that down. Normally, when we preach or teach, we give you points. We'll have typically three points because that's what we do, sometimes four or five. But today, we're just going to look at these two verses, and we're going to break this down. Now, ladies, don't tune out on me because this message is for you. Many of you are raising men. You're help training men. You're married to a man. Hopefully, you're not trying to train your husband, but you're married to a man. Some of you have brothers. You have fathers. You have cousins, uncles, co-workers. There's a lot of stuff in this that will be good for you, so you can take notes as well. And if your husband is not taking notes, just go ahead and give him a little nudge. Make sure he stays on board, all right? We ready? Okay, let's dive in. So those two little verses that we're going to take a look at are found in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 16. You can start turning there. Now, all the scriptures are going to be on the screen. I'm reading out of the ESV translation, uh, but whatever translation you're reading from or whatever your preference is, is fine. But all of these scriptures are going to be on the screen here. But we're reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13 and 14. And men, this is for you. I want you to hear the heart of God in this. All right. And it just simply says this. It says, be watchful, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let everything that you do be done in love. Hear me again on this. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let everything that you do be done in love. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to take a minute and just break that down. We're going to go through each one of those, talk about being watchful, about standing firm in the faith, about acting like men, about being strong and about letting everything that we do be done in love. Because I believe that this is really the essence of what God wants from us as men. And that if we can tap into this, if we can really, truly tap into this, then we can be the men that God has created and called us to be. And we can make an impact in the world around us. I don't know about you, but as I look around at so many different things like like children growing up without fathers and just there being no sense of true responsibility or accountability in the world, I think what our world is severely lacking is men of God. I think our world is, is struggling to find men who are who are of God and from God, who are sent by God, called by God. I think our world is struggling and looking for and desperately hoping for men who will stand up and act like men. 
And so that's why I want to encourage you today, guys. We're going to take each one of these and just break them down a little bit as we go through these. But I want to encourage you to get ready because I believe that God is calling you into something. And I hope that you're ready to step into it. You guys ready? ready. Let's do this. All right, let's go. So the first one is be watchful. Be watchful. And as I, as I think about that, I think about this story in Scripture. Now, if you're new to church, you may not know this story. If you're new to the Bible and, and there's all this Jesus stuff, you may not know this story. But if you've been around church for any period of time, I'm sure you've heard the story about Jesus when he went up to pray and he took three of his disciples with him, Peter, James and John. And just a few feet away, Peter, James and John are asleep. They've fallen asleep. And Jesus goes to them and he says, could you not watch and pray for one hour? Could you not watch and pray for one hour? You're sitting here and sleep and sleeping. And he tells them, be watchful lest you fall into temptation. Be watchful lest you fall into temptation. Now, Peter, who may not have learned that lesson in the moment, later on in the book of 1 Peter in chapter 5, Peter writes, Be watchful, for your adversary the devil roams around like a a prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. My brain got jumbled there trying to do all this from memory, so forgive me. But he said, Be watchful, because your adversary the devil, the thief, the serpent, he prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he's going to devour. So we are told to be watchful, men. It is our job to be watchful. Now, if you've ever served in the military, if you've ever served in law enforcement, you know what it means to be on watch. You know what it means to be the one responsible for the watch. That means that you have to keep a lookout when no one else is looking, that you have to keep a lookout for the enemy. And that your job is so key because as you're looking out, what you're doing is you're keeping yourself from being attacked, but you're also keeping everyone who's trusting in you, who's relying on you, everyone in your care, you're keeping them from being attacked as well. And I think that's the the command that God is giving us here. I think that's what he's calling us to, men. I think he's calling us to be watchful, to make sure, number one, that we're not attacked, that we don't fall into temptation. But number two, that sense of dominion, authority plus responsibility, that he's calling us to be watchful to make sure that those under our care don't get attacked either. And so, guys, I would challenge you, be watchful in your homes. Make sure that your kids aren't being attacked. Make sure that your wife isn't being attacked. Make sure you're engaged with your family so you know the things that they are battling with. We are gatekeepers. Be watchful in your workplace. Look at what the enemy is putting around you to make sure that you don't fall into temptation. Be watchful everywhere that you go. We are called to be on guard. Now, that doesn't mean that we walk around in some heightened sense of alertness, that we're vigilant and and just ready to snap at a moment's notice. But it does mean that we pay attention. And here's where I think so many men fall into trouble. Because I think the number one tactic that the thief uses to still kill and destroy men is distraction. I think it's distraction. I think he wants to keep us from being watchful. And so we get distracted. I don't know about you. My personal distraction is social media. I can pick up my phone and just say, hey, I'm just going to check one quick response or, hey, I saw someone uh, posted something on a church page. Let me respond to them real quick. And before I know it, two hours has gone by and I fall into some trap because I listened to some video and that video connected to an article. And then I read that article and hey, that article had a link about something I didn't know. So then I clicked that link. And before you know it, I'm two hours in and I got all these thoughts roaming around in my head and I'm trying to figure out, okay, what did I just waste two hours on? The enemy likes to use distraction to keep you from being watchful. But scripture has called us to be watchful. And I think this is the trap that Adam fell into because it's actually, it's it's a little bit sad. When you read the story of the fall in Genesis chapter three, you see that the serpent came in and he had a conversation with Eve and he deceived Eve. And it says Eve ate of the fruit, but that she gave it to her husband who was there and he ate also. 
Think about that. Adam, the man that God placed in the garden, the man that God gave dominion to, the man that named the animals, that named the serpent is there and he sees Eve having this conversation with the serpent. And the serpent is telling Eve to disobey God. The serpent is saying, you know what? Did God really say you can't eat of that fruit? And Eve is like, huh, I wonder what he really meant. And you know, the fruit does look good. Let me eat it. And Adam is there and he's watching this. This is Adam watching the situation, but not being watchful. Right. He's not paying attention. He's not fully engaged. And scripture says that he was there. And I've read past that a multitude of times and never given a second thought. And as I was preparing for this message, that really hit me. Adam was there. And I think that's why scripture refers to the fall as the sin of Adam. Adam was the one that God gave instruction to. Adam was the one that stood there idly by and watched as those instructions were broken. And then Adam partook himself. Think about that, guys. How often are we doing that in our home? How often are we in our house and our kids are rebellious and we're just watching while our wives are trying to deal with it? They're trying to navigate it and we're just sitting back watching and we're using work and play as an excuse. Well, honey, you know, I'm tired. I worked 50 hours this week. I don't really have time to mess with Junior. You know, honey, I got a golf game tomorrow. I'm going fishing with my buddies. You're on your own with this one. And we're not being watchful because we're being distracted. We're distracted by things. And don't hear me saying that having a hobby is bad. That's not what I'm saying at all. I absolutely think that you need time to yourself to recover, to recuperate, that you need things that give you joy, that you have fun. I think those things are totally important, provided you're taking care of your priorities and you're being watchful. I think you just have to have your priorities in the right order. But we are called by Scripture to be watchful. And you can picture yourself, guys, picture yourself. Standing at the gate, you're armed and you're ready to go. You've put on the full armor of God and that you're ready to take on the enemy when he comes. And you can say Satan, serpent, thief, whatever you want to call him. You can't have my home. You can't have my wife. You can't have my kids. You can't have me. I'm on watch and I'm watching. And then that jumps us into the next one where it says to stand firm in the faith. You can stand there boldly and say, I am standing firm on my faith. And as I think about the armor of God and how that passage is written out in Ephesians chapter six, it says to having done everything to stand, stand, therefore, stand firm. Now that what, having every done everything to stand, what he's really talking about here is we break down the pieces of the armor. That means that you've put your armor on. You've done all the necessary things that you need to do to stand and be ready for battle. And that because you're ready, you can stand firm. But our faith is what he tells us to stand firm on. And when I think about that, the question that I would ask you is, What are you holding on to? What are you standing firm on? What keeps you when things get rough? You know, for some of us, it is our faith. For others, it's our favorite news correspondent. It's things that are happening in life around us. We hold on to things and our faith has gotten a little bit clouded. And I'm probably going to upset some of you with this piece a little bit, but it seems like, especially recently, our faith has, has had some other things mixed into it. You know what I mean? Like we've taken a little piece of culture and mixed it in with our faith. We've taken a little little piece of politics and mixed it in with our faith. We've taken some of the Constitution. We mixed it in with our faith. We've taken all these other things. Uh, we've taken CNN and Fox, Fox News and all these other things, and we're mixing them in with our faith. And we're stirring this little pot together. And then we're drinking this mixed up soup and wondering why the world is going to hell in a handbasket. Wow. We're wondering why the world is falling around of falling apart around us is because we're not standing firm on our faith alone. We need to stand firm on our faith. Are you standing firm on God's word? Are you standing firm on God's word? Or are you mixing all these things together in a pot and drinking that soup? That's what Satan wants to do. That's what he wants you to get involved in. That's how he, that's how he got Eve. He didn't deny what God said to Eve. 
He's asked Eve to question what God said. And so what a lot of us will do is we will sit back and we will question what God's word says. And instead of trying to stand firm on our faith, instead of standing firm on God's word, we'll try to twist God's word to make it fit what we're hearing from these other sources. And I want to caution you guys, if you're really going to be watchful, if you're going to look out for the thief who has come to steal, kill and destroy, if you're going to watch this line that's prowling around like a like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour, you need to stand firm on your faith. Think about the people in Hebrews chapter 11, those people that scripture talks about. They held on to the promise of God. They trusted God. They believed God. They had faith in God and God made them a promise. And even though they didn't get to see that promise come to fruition, they held on to the promises of God. Many of them losing their life before ever seeing it happen. But they trusted God. They stood firm on his faith. And that's what I would challenge you with today, men. Stand firm in the faith, even though the world around you seems like it's going crazy. Stand firm in your faith. Don't be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, everything that comes your way. Don't let it sway you. Stand firm in the faith. We need to be watchful. We need to be on guard. We also need to stand firm in the faith. Now, the next one says to act like men. What does that even mean, really? Act like men. You want to talk about something that has a lot of confusion attached to it? Talk about manhood for a second. And this is what's really under attack here that we're talking about today is manhood. You know, for some of us, manhood means I drive a pickup truck instead of a Toyota Prius. Uh, For others, manhood means, you know, I I have a beard instead of I'm clean shaven. For some, manhood means I play, I I shoot guns instead of play video games. For some, manhood means that I have, you know, I look like a professional athlete instead of having a dad bod or or father figure, you know, whatever you want to call it. But we question this idea of what manhood really is. We define manhood by hobbies and appearance. That's not how scripture defines manhood. See, I know a lot of men with all the manly hobbies and they have all the manly toys. but They don't know how to treat their wife. They don't know how to love their kids. They don't know how to be men of integrity. They don't know how to have or they don't have any character. And I would challenge you to say and this is something that God challenged the, the prophet Samuel with. Samuel was chosen to go to the house of a man named Jesse to to pick one of Jesse's sons to be the next king of Israel. And Jesse go or Samuel goes to Jesse's house and he starts with the oldest son. This guy, he's big, tall, he's strong. He's a man's man. Right. And he looks at him and he says, surely this must be the one you've chosen, God. And God says, no. And so Samuel goes through each one of Jesse's sons, just looking at their physical appearance, looking at maybe even what they do for a living. Are they a warrior? Are they a carpenter? What are they doing? He's looking at all these things. And then finally, God says to him in 1 Samuel 16, 7, he says, don't look at his stature. Don't look at what he looks like. Man looks at the outward appearance. I look at the heart. And that's what God says to him. And so when you want to talk about what a man really is, I want you to look at the heart. Don't look at the outward appearance. Look at the heart. Does he love his wife? Does he provide for his family? Is he loving to his kids? Is he training them to fear and know the Lord? Is he taking care of his family? Does he rule his family out of fear? That's not being a man. That's being a coward, right? So we have to look at the heart. And if you want to know, men, what does God require of you? One of my favorite verses is Micah 6, 8. And we're going to turn there in just a second. You can start turning there now. But he tells us what God requires of us. It tells us what we should look for in a man, if you will. And so let's go there now. Micah 6, 8. And I'm going to flip there. I got some little cheat notes in my Bible so I can get there quick. My little index cards that hold my place for me. You may not have that. So I'll give you a second to get there. But I know oftentimes we struggle with what does God expect of me? Like, what does he want 
from me? What is he requiring of me as a man? And there are some things that are, are front and center. We're to be watchful. We're to stand firm in our faith. We're to be men of integrity and men of character. We're to love our wives the way that Christ loved the church and gave himself for. We're to, to not admonish our kids in a way that, that makes them spiteful or angry, um, but we're to love our children and we're to get to know them and to get to know our wives and we're to lead them and guide them in our homes. But Micah 6, 8 says this. It says, he has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. So you want to know what God requires of you, man? He wants you to do justice. And what I think that really means is to do the right thing. I don't think it really means it in the context that we always try to use that word now. I think God wants us as men to be able to look at a situation, to say what's right versus what's wrong, and to do the right thing. Sometimes justice means you get what you deserve, right? But the next part of that scripture says to love kindness. Some translations use the word mercy there. And so those are actually opposite sides of a coin, because if you always got what you deserve, there would be no mercy. Right. But mercy gives us a chance to exercise. Hey, maybe you deserve this punishment, but I'm going to be merciful. Instead, I'm going to give you something different. But we're to do justice. God wants us to do the right thing. He wants us to always do the right thing. We're to love kindness, that we should be like Jesus and look on people and be moved with compassion and to try to bring them to a, a, a knowledge of who God is, to lead them to life in Christ. We're to love kindness and then we're to walk humbly with our God. And I think it's interesting that 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 phrasing is there. He doesn't just say to walk with your God. He says to walk humbly. And I think the reason it's worded that way, men, is because oftentimes we can struggle with pride and arrogance. Oftentimes we can think we know what's right, even if it contradicts what God's word says. We can think we know better than God and we can start to exercise our own authority instead of following God's authority. So he wants us to do justice, to do what's right in every situation. He wants us to love kindness and he wants us to walk humbly with our God. And doing justice isn't always easy. I know that a lot uh, a lot recently, we've seen a lot of things transpire in the news. And so we kind of get into this battle. Is this just? Is that just? Is this right? Is that right? And our nation is more divided than I've seen it in a long time. And church, I honestly think the right thing for us to do right now, the just thing for us to do right now is to be the light of the world. I think the right thing for us to do right now is to be that city on a hill that cannot be hidden. I look at our church and I love our church because we have, we have a variety of ages and skin hues and all that kind of stuff. And the right thing for us to do is to be in community with one another, to represent God, to be that image bearer and to show the world around us you can be different and still be in community, that you don't have to be the same skin color. You don't have to be the same age. You don't have to live in the same neighborhood. You don't have to drive the same car. We can still be in community because we have a common interest and his name is Jesus. And he's brought us into this community together. But we can do justice. We can do the right thing. Every time it presents itself, we can choose to do what's right. And we can love kindness. We can love mercy. We can love being merciful to people and kind to people and compassionate like our Savior was compassionate, and we can walk humbly with our God by choosing to obey his word, even when it doesn't feel good for us. Even when we think something different should be done, we choose to obey him. We make the choice to follow him and walk humbly with him. So we need to be watchful. We need to be on guard. We need to stand firm in our faith. We need to hold on to God's word and not be swayed by every wind of doctrine. And then we need to act like men. And it is not based on the outward appearance. It's based on what's in the heart. And there's a real opportunity there for a lot of us to stop striving to be something that culture has defined as a man 
and strive to be what God's word defines as a man. All right. And so then the next one he says is to be strong, be strong. I love that. Be strong. What does that mean? Does that mean you got to have big muscles? Does that mean that you have to be able to go out and, and tackle a lion or fight a lion um, like some of the people in the Old Testament did? Does it mean you got to pick up a donkey jawbone like Samson and go out and slay a thousand Philistines? I actually think it's the opposite. I don't think strength is the absence of weakness. I think strength is choosing to overcome in spite of our weakness. Scripture tells us that our faith or our strength, God's strength is perfected in our weakness. So when Scripture tells us to be strong, I think what it's really asking us to do is to choose to rely on God even when we feel weak. I think he's pointing us back to God saying, be strong because, again, God's strength is perfected in our weakness. You can be strong as you fight temptation. You're going to be tempted. Remember, Jesus said, watch and pray unless you fall into temptation, but we're going to be tempted. Scripture tells us that there's no temptation that comes at us, though that's not uncommon to man, but that God is faithful and in our temptation, he'll make a way of escape to be able to bear it. Being strong doesn't mean you're not tempted. Being strong means that you take that way of escape when it comes. You overcome in spite of your weakness. So be strong. Stand firm in your faith and be strong. Act like men. Let's have some strength. Let's have some fortitude. Let's have principles that we stand on and that we don't back down from just because things get rough. Being strong means that we're willing to stand up and do what's right to love or to do justice, that we're going to do what's right even when it's hard, that we're going to love kindness and mercy, even when we don't feel like it, and that we're going to walk humbly with our God, even when everything is in us is crying out saying, I want to do this my way. Be strong, be strong, stand firm on your faith and be strong. And then the last part that he says in there is, and let everything that you do be done in love. And this is where I would question us as men again. And I would just ask you this question, what motivates you? What's the the factor behind why you do what you do? Are you doing what you do because you want to get a pat on the back? Are you doing what you do because you want people to acknowledge you? Are you doing what you do out of love? When you get up and you go to work those 50 hours a week that you come home and tell you, you remind your family that you work every week. Are you going to work for your family because you love them? Are you going to work for your family because you want them to know how much they need you? What motivates you? Are you doing what you do out of love? Are you doing what you do out of love when you discipline your kids? Are you disciplining them out of love or are you disciplining them out of anger? Are you mad because they embarrassed you and because of that you're choosing to beat them or whoop them or depending on where you grew up, whatever words you, you use for that. But are you doing it out of love? Are you doing it to help them grow and to make sure that they don't fall into sin and temptation? Or are you doing it because you're angry and embarrassed? Do everything that you do out of love. As you interact with the world around you, what's your motivation for that? Are you doing it out of love? Are you moved with compassion like Jesus was moved with compassion? Are you doing it because you want to prove that you're right in each and every situation and that is your way or the highway? Why are you having the interactions that you have? Do everything that you do out of love. So he says, be watchful that we are on guard. He says to stand firm in our faith. We hold on to God's word. We believe in God's word and we trust that his word is true, even when it doesn't feel good for us. He says to act like men. And remember, that's not based on what you see on the outside of true man is a man in the heart. Right. And so we need to hold on to that. We need to act like men to do justice, to love kindness and to walk humbly with our God. And then he goes on to say, be strong. We need to be strong to overcome in the face of weakness, to not give in to temptation, that we need to stand up, take the way of escape when it presents itself. But we need to be strong, understanding that our strength comes from the Lord. His strength is perfected in our weakness. You don't have to rely on your own strength. You can be strong because your strength comes from the Lord. And then he says, let everything that you do be done in love. 
What motivates you? Question yourself on that because men, honestly, we need to keep ourselves in check at times. And asking that question of motivation will help you keep yourself in check. Have you ever had anything stolen from you? As we talk about this idea of identity theft, have you ever had anything stolen from you? Back in 2010, uh, my wife and my family and I, we lived in a house in Hampton and we had two cars. I had a Volvo S60 and she had a Ford Explorer. And me being the smart guy that I am, I used to leave the spare key to my wife's car in the glove compartment of my car. Because uh, I, don't, I don't like having a lot of stuff in my pocket, so I don't like having a big keychain and a bunch of keys. I would leave her key in my car. So one night we're both parked in the driveway of our house. We lived in a fairly nice neighborhood, so I thought we were good. That night I made the mistake of not locking my car. And some teenagers came into the neighborhood. They got inside my car. They couldn't hotwire or steal my car. But as they rummaged through the glove compartment and the armrest and all that stuff, they found the key to the car sitting right beside it. I know they were like, hey, it's Christmas. We got a car, right? We got the key. We don't even got to break the window or set off any alarms. So they take my wife's car. The next morning we get up and we're getting ready for work. The kids are getting ready for school. And I open the front door and I say, honey, where's your car? And she said, Jay, stop playing. I don't got time. I'm about to be late for work. What are you talking about? I was like, no, honey, where is your car? And so she comes to the front door and I just see this look of terror on her face. And I just remember standing there thinking, man, we've been robbed. Now, I don't know if you've ever had anything stolen from you, but it can it can leave you feeling hopeless. Uh, You lose trust in people. You lose trust in the things around you. It makes you feel violated. You begin to act like a victim. And so we did. We, we called the police. We're like, hey, our car has been stolen. We need you to send a police officer out to help. We're both agitated. We feel like the officer's not doing enough because when someone's stolen something from you, you never feel like enough is being done in that moment, right? Because you want your stuff back. And you want your stuff back the way that you left it and you want it back right away. But that was a crazy ordeal for us. Now, eventually they did find our car a couple of weeks later, parked in the neighborhood here nearby um, that my wife to this day will refuse to move to because that's where they found her stolen car at. Um, but they found our car. And I'll never forget in that moment feeling what it feels like to be a victim of something. And I'll never forget that feeling of, of just feeling like you can't trust or that you feel insecure in that moment. And guys, I want to challenge you. There's there's two men in scripture, and we've talked about both of them today. One is Adam, and the other is Jesus. And in Adam, you have this man who was irresponsible. You have this man who, when God confronted him and said, Adam, what have you done? He said, Lord, it's the woman that you gave me. So he was irresponsible, and he blamed someone else uh, for his mistake. Adam was a victim. And he acted like a victim. It says they were naked and ashamed. God made a covering for them. But I'm sure in that moment, Adam was walking around with his head down, his head hung low. And then you had Jesus, totally responsible, bore the sin and the shame of other people. He didn't blame others. He bore our shame. When we were to blame, he took that on himself. And so Jesus comes in and he's a conqueror. You have a victim and you have a conqueror. You have one blaming other people. You have the other one taking on blame. And you know what conquerors really do? They take back territory. Conquerors take back what's been stolen. And hear me clearly on this church. Jesus had something stolen from him, too, because when God God said, remember, early on in Genesis, he said, let us make man in our image. That's God, the father, the son and the Holy Spirit, our image, the Godhead, three in one. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, had something stolen from him. Because when the thief came in to steal, kill and destroy in the garden, what he stole was he stole. um, He stole their their uh, dominion. 
He stole dominion from man, that authority and that responsibility. What he killed was their relationship with God. He tried to separate Adam and Eve from God and kill that relationship. And what he destroyed was the fellowship that they had. He destroyed God's image in that sense because sin entered in. And so that that was broken. When that sin came in, that image was destroyed. So Jesus lost something in that moment. And when it was stolen from Adam, he sought to blame other people. He played the victim. But when it was stolen from Jesus, God made a plan of redemption. And in order to answer that plan, Jesus answered it himself. He came down in the form of a man. He clothed himself in flesh. He died on the cross and he took back what was his. He took back what he created from the very beginning, from the foundation of the world. He took it back as a conquering king. And man, I want to challenge you. It's time for you to take back what's been stolen from you. It's time for you to take back your homes. If your marriage is struggling, it's time for you to take it back. Stop making excuses. Stop whining. Stop turning to alternatives. Get on your knees and pray. Take back what is rightfully yours. Take your marriage back. If your kids are falling apart, if they're rebellious and they're pursuing other things, it's time for you to stand up and take it back. Quit playing the victim. Quit saying, I don't, I can't do this. I'm not good enough. Quit being distracted. Take back what God has given you. It's time to take your kids back. If your life is being destroyed, if the thief is coming to your life and you're struggling with pornography or sex addiction or, or lust or some kind of substance abuse, if you're struggling with pride, maybe your issue is food and you can't get control of your health, it's time for you to stand up and take back what is rightfully yours. We have to stand up. We're not just conquerors. Scripture says that we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus, through him who loved us. You need to stand up. Stop being the victim. Stand up and take back what the enemy has stolen from you. It's time, men, that we act like men. We need to act like men. We got to stop playing the victim. We got to stop standing idly by and watching as the world goes to hell in a handbasket. It's time for us to stand up Be who God created us to be. Be men of dominion and authority and responsibility. Be men that rely on God, that stand firm in their faith, that are watchful, that we watch out, that we stand guard. Be men that are strong and be men of integrity. And let all that we do be done in love so that we glorify our Father, we represent Him well, and we are the true image bearers that He created us to be. But men, it's time for us to stand up and take back what's been stolen. Now, if you're a man, I, I want to ask you to do something right there where you are, whether in your living room or you're in Starbucks or you're in your garage, wherever you may be. If you're in bed, hop out of bed real quick. I want you to stand up right where you are. I want to pray for you. I want you to stand up. And in this prayer, I, I want you to understand that what I'm actually praying over you and praying for you and asking you to do is to be a man. I'm asking you to be watchful. And I'm praying for God to give you the strength to do that. I'm asking you to stand firm in your faith, to not waver or be tossed and fro, uh, to and fro by every wind of doctrine, but to stand firm in your faith. I'm asking you to act like a man, not be so focused on all of these outwards, outward things that we've called manhood or these things that we consider manly, but to be focused on your heart, be focused on your heart, to look inside and say, am I a man of integrity? Am I a man who loves God with everything that I have? Do I love my wife and my kids? Am I providing for my family? Am I doing the things that God has called me to do as a man? And I'm praying for you to be strong. I want you to take back what the enemy has taken from you. It's not too late. I don't care how far down the road of addiction you are. I don't care how much you feel your marriage is broken. I don't care how much you feel your kids are rebellious and away from God. It is not too late for you to stand up and be the man that God has called you and created you to be and take back what the enemy has stolen from you. 
but you can't fight this battle with your hands, with your fists. You've got to fight this one on your knees in prayer, and you've got to ask God to strengthen you each and every day so that you can be the man he created you to be. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful that when you created us, that you, you made us in your image and in your likeness. And I know that there are things, that there are characteristics, that there are qualities that you put into each and every man that you call your own, that are in your likeness so that we can have courage, that we can be bold, we can be strong, that we can act like men, we can be the men that you created us to be. So I pray for every man who hears my voice right now, just those things, that you would help them to be watchful, that you would would remove that, that distraction, whatever that spirit of distraction is that the enemy's trying to use to still kill and destroy us, that you would help us to see beyond that distraction, to put down that distraction, that we would be watchful. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to stand firm in the faith, that we would stand firm on your word, that we would believe your word is true, that, that we would no longer mix in pieces of culture and, and politics and all these things from the world that we throw into this pot and stir around, Father, but that we would stand on the truth of your word and understand that your word is all that we need, that if we live according to your word, that we can be men who live lives that are pleasing to you. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to act like men, that we would do justice, that we would love kindness, that we would walk humbly with you, Father that we would love our wives the way that Christ, Lord Jesus, you love the church and gave yourself for it, that we would train our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, that we would be men of integrity and men of character, Father, that we would love our neighbors and that we would love our city and that we would just shine your light out into the world around us. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be strong, that each and every day that as we face temptation, Lord, that we understand that you've made a way of escape that we're able to bear it. I pray that you would give us the strength to take that way of escape. Father, I pray that you would help us to be strong and stand against the things that attack us, the, the lust and the addiction and all those other things that we as men tend to struggle with. Father, I pray that you would give us your strength, the strength that's made perfect in our weakness, and that you would help us to walk faithfully according to your word and according to your way. And most importantly, Lord, I pray that you would help us to do all that we do in love that we would love the way that you love. That I, I believe that that is your number one characteristic that you put in the heart of man, that even though we don't see it, even though we see ourselves as, as warriors and conquerors and these, these mighty soldiers ready for battle, Father, that you've given us a heart and a capacity for love. And I pray that you would help us to exercise that in the world around us because I believe that what the world needs right now is men who are willing to stand up and be men of God. Help us to be the men that you created us to be, Lord, and be glorified in us. And each and every man that hears my voice, help us to act like men. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We give you all the glory, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, guys.